0: Hello everybody, welcome to today's episode of the Sum Tribe Podcast. Today I am joined by my personal tribe who have got me through the lockdown of 2020. So I'm joined today by we call ourselves the River Otters, as myself, John Myer and Laura Nesbitt, and we've been having some of the most amazing adventures all the way through the summer of 2020, and we've kept ourselves sane. So, Laura, John, please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourselves.
1: Hi there. Yeah, uh, nice to meet you, Caroline, again. So. <laughs> <laughs> my name's John Myatt. I swam as a junior for Gloucester City from the age of seven till I was 17 and had a 23-year break. And then uh, one day I decided I wanted to get back into uh, swimming and book myself part of a team to do the Solent, which is three miles from Gosport to Isle of Wight. I wore a wetsuit for the first time. I did that swim and I enjoyed it so much that I then found my love for open-water swimming. So um, from that, I got back into uh, back into training at the leisure centre and in the lakes, and um, I've gone on to accomplish uh, some things I would never thought I'd you know, ever dream of doing, like swimming to France one way as a two-man team, and then even swimming to France and back as the first two-man team in history. I've represented Great Britain at the World Ice Swimming Championships in the and come away uh, with age group gold after swimming 1,000 metres at zero degrees. And it's just gone on from there, really. And uh, I've had the luxury of uh, meeting Caroline whilst we were in my Mac and we formed a friendship. And, um, yeah, we've done a lot of swims together during COVID and it's been a great experience.
0: It has. And then we also got Laura into our little squad. Yeah! I met Laura in Bled this year and Laura already knew John. So, Laura, tell me a bit about you. I'm Laura.
2: I swam for Bath University's Junior Performance Programme when I was younger. I then quit and as a result of many years in swimming and not being able to balance things, I got ill with an eating disorder. Four years later, I eventually found myself in rehab. And then when I came out, I got into wild swimming to kind of help me reconnect because it's a pretty difficult experience to go through and um was due to go to uni and decided I didn't want to go because I needed a support network so I started my own swim club and I grew that for six years and we literally had no resources you know kids couldn't even like streamline and push off the wall in three years we'd got to regional level on six hours of pool time and then by year five we had national open water medalists which was absolutely amazing my top squads are like family oh. like I still see them every year so that's um like a pretty essential part to swimming. I felt that my kind of duty as a coach was to provide the environment that I never had when I was a competitive swimmer. So I wanted to give, you know, swimmers the opportunities that I'd never had, but also just make it super inclusive. That's, you know, something I'd never really experienced as a competitive swimmer. I started training for a channel solo in 2014, but I subsequently had to have two shoulder reconstructions. So have yet to do a solo, but I did do a relay that year, um, single arm, and I would not <coughs> advise doing that. <laughs> um, since then, I've done Estonia Cold Water Champs in 2018, and I did bled this year, and we, as a trio, did the Bristol Channel from the Seven Bridge. In terms of what I want to go ahead and do in swimming, I want to do it all. (laughs) It's all so expensive. (laughs) And I've just started uni doing a philosophy degree. So I need to get through that in one piece. I've also gone back to coaching to work with a team that I worked with in 2018 before I moved to Sydney and then did a year of sports coaching out there. So it's kind of nice to be back on poolside. Lockdown has kind of thrown everything out the pan. So I've been spending a lot of time at Clevedon Marine Lake to swim, but also for my mental health and to actually have an environment where you're allowed to spend time with people outside of your bubble.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I've also just become a trustee for the lake. So hopefully really good things planned for summers in the next couple of years, but we'll see. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. We've got quite a lot of parallels, Me and you, Laura, and I know that John swims as well for mental health reasons, too. I've had a very similar experience to you as a junior. And John, I think yours is quite similar as well for when when you were a junior as well. Like the amount of pressure that is you put on yourself, but is also inadvertently put on you by others. It gets really difficult to know who you are, especially when you lose all of that with swimming. I lost who I knew I was. And that manifested itself in a way to me with, um, I'd say, a a mental breakdown. I would say it was. And it it manifests itself in lots of different ways. I'm not as as extreme as yours, Laura, with your eating disorder. But I'd had issues with the way I looked, the way I felt. And I would often go days without eating because I thought I was getting fat. And and I think I'm going to go with body dysmorphia because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I, I saw back because it wasn't what I was used to as a kid. John, we've had a very similar conversation about this when you were doing your, your Hadrian's War.
1: Yeah, I've, I think I've suffered from dysmorphia right? And um, <clears throat> I, I don't see myself the way other people see me. And I think that stemmed from swimming. When I used to be so fit when I was swimming as, as, a, as a junior, you're putting in 19 hours a week, you're absolutely cut and ripped. And then when you stop training, you carry on eating. Mm-hmm. And then you just end up being feeling like a fat glug and, and happy with yourself. And I don't like um looking at myself on video or cameras sometimes because it's yeah, I just I just don't like the way I look. And I don't think I'll ever find um happiness with the way with the way I am.
0: And do you think that's something that started as a kid?
1: Yeah, um yeah it was it was something that started as a kid. I, I think even when I was swimming I, I wasn't happy happy because. Um, you comparing yourself for other people all the time. Well, I was anyway. And I think that might have been part of my upbringing because um the way my dad used to look at us and compare us as kids and uh, make us fight each other. And, you know, you're always, always comparing yourself to see if, if you're better than someone else. And, and it's something that's drawn into me as a kid.
0: Mm. It's difficult. And we're so naked as swimmers.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, we are. I would say that during my junior years, I started puberty quite late, which was a blessing because it meant that in my performance up until 16 was like pretty good and then I kind of hit puberty at 16 and everything just went downhill so rapidly but there wasn't really much science or support for coaches or swimmers to kind of say girls should be on a different program as boys when this happens because girls' bodies are going through so much and that's not to say that boys' bodies don't go through anything either but um, I think now there's so much more support for athletes and coaches when juniors move into the later stages of their swim careers and then on the opposite side of that from a coaching point of view I would say that In the years that I was a coach, it's a really unsociable job and swim coaching is a personal investment, like you're making investments in every athlete that you coach and there isn't really much time for yourself outside of that and I just, I felt that even in my coaching years, I was still trying to normalise food and I was still rebuilding um, like essential blocks (coughs) of life after coming out of rehab and I remember thinking the only people I'm really seeing are my swim team and a lot of them were really young and hadn't hit puberty yet. And it became like the only bodies that I was really seeing was pre-pubescent girls in swimming costumes. And I look back now and think, yes, coaching was one of the only options for me when I came out of rehab because I didn't want to go to uni because I knew I would get ill again and I didn't know what else to do. And I felt so passionate about providing opportunities for swimmers who don't get scholarships to the private school system and i just look back now and i think maybe being around girls all the time not having an environment outside of that was a little bit dangerous to me and i think when i got welcomed into the open water marathon ice and cold water swimming community you realize that athletes come in all shapes and sizes and that you know to sprint 50 meters in a pool you're not going to have the same body shape as somebody who's going to swim the channel or do marathon swimming or ice miles and things like that so I think culture and media really need to um, look at the way they address athletes and the way their their bodies adapt to sport because at the end of the day it's not about how you look when you're on the block or at the start of the race it's about your performance and if your body needs to be a certain shape then so be it. It's a tool isn't
0: it at the end of the day your body is a tool Laura you're so right there for me I had a very similar experience and my, my times dropped off the minute that I had different hormones and I've had similar conversations with other people and other coaches about when they don't look at the, at the female body in sports as a tool and like they, the women's football team they changed completely changed the way they were training them because they used to apply male sports science to women and it just doesn't it doesn't add up it doesn't work so I, I hear you there, I totally hear you there. I
2: think one thing that I didn't really appreciate is that when you're a swimmer, it's really easy to slate the coat. Because you only see it from one perspective. And when I kind of crossed that line and went into coaching, even coaches that I knew hadn't done a very good job or I didn't personally click with, I really felt like, okay, now I'm a coach. I have a newfound respect for some coaches. But I also think it also comes down to um, like awarding bodies and government organisations. There needs to be policy in place to kind of protect coaches and swimmers. And there needs to be education there. And I think there's just a massive, massive hole in terms of education in, in sport but especially especially in swimming
1: swimming as a junior for me it was uh, kind of a savior for me I was going through such a rough time at home I had a sort of violent background dad uh, used to to beat me play these psychological games with, with the family and uh, swimming was an escape and I was so lucky that from the age of seven um, I was awarded a scholarship. And if it wasn't for that, I don't know how um, my my life would be now. But um, I felt really integrated with the swimming club. Um, And a lot of the families uh, sort of like took me on as their own. So I'm I'm really grateful for that sort of like family environment. that They sort of helped nurture me and give me a sense of uh, confidence. And that's why I'm still connected to swimming. I'm still connected to a lot of the people I used to swim with, because I do see them as family. And I'm, you know, I've got people I train with now uh, that I used to train with, and just got a complete bond.
0: That's a huge part of what swimming is. So it's about your community and your tribe. That's why this podcast is called what it is. And I've said that before on on these these podcasts. And the reason why I'm doing them is because we all have such a connection and very much similarities. I, Laura and I have got a very, very similar background when it comes to swimming and yours is as well, John, of, of, of it being so important to you.
1: Swimming was so important to me. Um, I gave 110%. So I don't think people used to say to me that I was a grafter and even my coach said that. I mean... I, I think I missed one session in about 10 years and um, I ended up bawling my eyes out and going around to my coach's house, Henry Mycuni,
0: <laughs> and, and
1: uh, he sat me down had a coffee and he said, mm-hmm. Johnny said, I don't understand why you're not performing at a certain level. He said, because you give more than anybody else. And I think it was because I gave more than anybody else that um, I hampered myself because I overtrained. So when I was supposed to be resting on a Friday uh, evening, I would want to give more. And I thought, the more I do, the better I'm going to be. And there was no one there to actually stop me from doing that. And all I was doing was just sabotaging myself because I wasn't getting the rest. And and that's why my performances were lacking. And that showed one day because um, I went to uh, a garland bath. And it's just when they brought out the new blocks for the new heights. And they lowered the floor to 0.9 or 0.8 of a meter. And uh, I did a lazy dive and not realizing and split my head quite, uh, right across the top. It was like a shark attack in the pool. <laughs> so... Um, so I had to then spend uh, two weeks out of the pool with stitches in. My first swim back was the club championships. And uh, I used to do about um, 65 for a 100 metres front call, which wasn't particularly fast then. I remember going in swimming. I beat my time, uh, my PB, by five seconds, which is massive, which just goes to show what rest can do. So rest is just as important as swimming. Another thing I want to touch on um, was like swimming meant that, that much to me that I felt this sense of guilt when I, when I finished when I was 17, when most people like uh, go and start a job or go to university, you really have to give up your sport in a sense because you can't keep training at those levels. And, and I felt really guilty that I finished uh, swimming early. And I felt that I'd let my coach down and my team and everybody. And I carried that guilt for years. And, um, It's only since I swam to France and back and achieved gold in in Russia that I felt that, you know, I've actually, you know, I've actually achieved something through swimming that's great. It's sort of like that guilt's lesson now as it's it's gone. It feels like, I feel like if I could talk to my coach now, he'd be really proud of what I've done from what he gave me. Does that make sense?
2: (laughs) So just following on from what John was saying, in terms of giving up and not really feeling like you've reached your potential by the time life circumstances changed and something has to give for something else to happen and I remember when I was leaving swimming I was devastated because it takes up so many hours of your life that it's more than just routine it's literally like your way of life and when I got into coaching, I used to coach the Southwest Regional Summer Camps at Bryanton School. And they always used to have two Olympic athletes who would come in and do a talk. And one of them couldn't make it one summer. So the guy who organized the camp said, Laura, do you mind just giving a talk? And I said, yeah. So I found some pictures of me when I was a teenager racing with my team. And it was, it was really interesting, actually, because as I was putting the presentation together, it made me realize that even when I was swimming at Bath, I never wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. That wasn't my goal. I just knew that I wanted to be in swimming for the rest of my life. And that moment when the penny dropped and I remember talking to all these 11, 12, 13 year olds that were saying, you know, you haven't failed because you haven't won gold at nationals or you haven't got to Olympic level. If you want longevity in swimming, that is also okay. And I kind of took that into my coaching when I was taking my swimmers down to the lake in 2015, 2016 parents thought I was absolutely mad putting my two top squads in the water at 14 degrees but I thought no because there's going to be a huge dropout rate between 14 and 15 when you've got exams and things start happening in life and I thought if I keep them interested by showing them that it's not all about winning at the Cotswold League Championships or winning at counties or winning at regionals, they develop a positive relationship with the sport and they'll want to stay in it and they might want to stay in it long enough that they might swim the channel or do an ice Smile or go around the world and do crazy swimming adventures and then that culture kind of stays and they pass on to their kids and that was just so
0: important to me that I developed that in the team that I was coaching. That's fantastic because that's exactly how I feel about it because for me, I'm on the same kind of page as John. I felt really guilty because I'd had the opportunity to swim for GB and the weather conditions on the day had been so poor that I got out of my swim. And I what ifed for a very, very long time. I regretted that decision for 10, 15 years because even though I kept going back and kept winning the British Grand Prix or getting on the podium and, and doing high level events, they never gave me another chance because, that, that's what they're like and they remove the team number. yeah you're a number not a person and I love that you're thinking more in as a person as a whole because it's so important to our identity and I don't think British swimming recognized that at the time at the end of the day we're people we have to have a positive interaction with something or it becomes a chore or it becomes something we hate I gave up something because I started to hate it I resented it I didn't want to get up in the morning
2: just going back to that numbers versus person thing when I was coaching in Sydney I ended up doing an athlete well-being and management course and I was the only swimmer on the course and it was run by Wellbeing Science Institute and I ended up being surrounded by Olympic athletes who knew that they were coming to the end of their time which is why we did the course and also lots of professional rugby players who would earn millions in their heyday, but as soon as the sport was done with them or as soon as they were injured, their whole life up to that point was geared on sport and performance, that academics went by the wayside, learning a skill or a trade went by the wayside. So a lot of them, especially the rugby players in Australia, ended up just being bricklayers. And so you go from being in this wonderful, shiny space and you've got thousands of pounds in terms of gym membership, nutrition, coaching skills surrounding you, making you the best person that you can be, but it's making you the best person that you can be in an environment that isn't going to be there for you once you're not delivering. Yeah. And I think that's still a massive problem now in British swimming, but also in so many organisations. It's all about profit and numbers. And especially in team sports, endorsements want viewers it's more geared t- towards money. And one of the um, Olympic skiers who I ended up talking to a lot was saying that it's really difficult when, you know, you've only got an endorsement based on your last result. Tens of thousands of dollars rely on, on your results. But it's also like, what do you do when you, you get injured and that money disappears? It's just, it's totally devastating. And you realize that you're almost like a commodity. It's really heartbreaking. And then it becomes about business. and And that kind of takes magic away from sport in a way
0: yeah by experiencing it and by getting back into it so when I got back into swimming outside again I wanted to change my mindset of I'm now doing this for fun this is enjoyment and I'm feeling the water and going and finding these beautiful places that you can swim and it's part of the adventure isn't it so it's taken me 15 years to get my head around it I think this year is the first year where I've actually seen the beauty in swimming outside again because it just became but horrible I remember as a kid the amount of times where I've been swimming up and down in club crying because yeah. I didn't want to be there I just wanted to go home and have a sleep but I, I needed to train to to get better and I think it wasn't a bad thing I love my coaches a bit I think the world of them I they, I'd love nothing more than to go and sit in a pub with my old coaches um Keith Ted and John they are so central to who I am as a person today and just just have a chat with him because that you go from that being your life to suddenly overnight flicking the switch and it's gone. It's just, it's just yeah. hard. It's so hard.
1: This year, it's it's been eye-opening for me. I, I mean, I know I've tra- uh, trained to swim in the cold and and I do the channel, and that's all been just you know, just training volume in open water and then pools. But um, because of lockdown, because the pools were closed, I mean, connecting with you and Laura being able to um, plan swims and swim outdoor and gradually build up our fitness and then be able to enjoy it. Um, I mean, we, we threw ourselves into all sorts of conditions. I mean, like, um, I think we almost went out on the force four in Clevedon, but we were so used to swimming out there. And it was just like, it, it's, it, I, I, can't, I can't describe it. It's just, it's just the best place on earth when you're out there in, in those elements. Yeah. Um, and knowing you're part of, part of something as well. Yes, yeah, incredible.
0: You guys have helped me so much this season. So I, I don't I don't think I've ever really told you about it, but I have a, or had a huge fear of waves up until this season. Um, when I had my swim when I was 15, the water conditions were, well, pretty bad. Um, I got out because I was seasick and I didn't feel well. And I've always had this big hang up about swimming in, in choppy conditions. I will do it. I did one of my ice miles in really choppy conditions. But for this year, what I wanted to do was go and... Do some sea swimming to get over it. I entered the silly swim to swim around the island, um, and me and John were having a chat going down the river a few weeks before we met. And said to Clevedon, we kind of banded the idea about John was saying, "Oh, I want to do this swim." And then you messaged me saying, "We're doing this swim. There's a group was going down. Do trying to do it?" And I, I was sat there a chat with my mum. I actually didn't think I could do it. I thought I was going to get in and have a massive freak out, which I did the first couple of times. I just had to get my head down and learn. I know how to swim in waves. I just had such a negative association with it from the experience that I'd had in the past. Like The season before I'd done Windermere solo and I got out. I got out because I was scared. I got out because it was taking me back. So being in that that swim and I knew I sat down in Leanne's caravan after having a bacon sandwich and I thought, geez, I need to do something about this because... I've got a genuine fear so you guys have helped me so much get over that I know sometimes like when we were out with Lars just you John you were you were bobbing around like a happy little seal pup I was shitting myself sorry I I, love
1: the waves
2: I when it gets choppy that's when I actually get faster when it's when it gets wavy you know if I'm doing Clevedon to lay bay and back and it's flat the rest of the pack leaves me, but as soon as it gets choppy, I like start rubbing my hands together. i like, Yes, this is the best bit, and then I'm just woo, overtaking everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I remember being out in the channel with you, um, uh, Bristol Channel, um, when we go from Portland to Cleveland on, on the on our return swim with Lars, and that, that was amazing because, um, I think the waves must have about four or five foot at least. But I don't normally do butterfly, but I was butterflying over the top of the wave into the <laughs> dippy and screaming like a little kid, so like, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. If people look to you out there, they think, "Look at those nutcases in those conditions." But really, when you when you're used to being in those conditions, you know, you know yourself. You know, there's there's no happier place in the world, really, is there? So. Uh
0: you're right and it's really helped me get over it so i I owe you guys a lot for that but one thing i do want to say is for people listening if you don't have the experience to do that those kind of swims please do not get in and do it because we were pushing our limits if you actually add up the amount of years worth of experience that me laura and john have got we've got to be pushing 50 years and the knowledge that we've got is is hugely different i i'm not great with tides and and the sea John and Nora, you live down there. You've got a lot more experience than me and you've, you've educated me this year and I'm really grateful of that. So I'm, yeah. I wouldn't have to have these experiences without you guys. I-
1: yeah, I, I say we, we never take um, swimming in the Bristol Channel lightly. Always looking at the conditions, looking at the weather forecast, the wind direction, um, looking at the uh, underlying uh, rock formations and, and, you know, the way the actual bed's structured, because that can make such a difference. I mean, when we swim uh, from Cleveland to Portishead, we get into, um, by Portishead Boathouse, and uh, you literally going nowhere. But if you really understand what's happening, there's an eddy that's forming around the bay and coming back and, and going against the tide. You know, and we understand that, and we know that we can like push through that. It just takes a little bit of time. So, but for anybody else new to that environment, they take on that swim, they would potentially panic uh, because they would feel that was, they would never get there, and they're going to drown or something. Um, but we, we're just confident swimmers. We know the situation, and we know the tide's going to turn eventually anyway. We can go ahead, back. There's always a there's always another get out. I mean, as part of our uh, arsenal, we carry a tow float, don't we? With um, we call it our bailout kit. So we have a pair of, pair of shoes, a towel, a, a, a top food, for whatever, food, food, nutrition, a drink. And we pack all that on our terrible
2: and, and we've already called the Coast Guard to say we're going in.
1: Yeah. And uh, and then, yeah, so we, so literally we can just get out at any point we want to. Um, so there's no pressure on us to reach a certain point. If someone doesn't feel well or, or they're not happy with it, then, then they can just get out and we just all get out together as a team.
0: And that's it, John. It's, it's about being a team. Like We are a team. And I think we've definitely learned that with the the swim we did from um, the Prince of Wales Bridge. That was honestly so special for me. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing, wasn't it? Like, I, I, you know when a swim blows you away. I didn't expect we'd be able to do it because we um. So, this this <laughs> well, because, because because there was like forty eight hours <laughs> to, to get it together. <laughs> so we'd planned this swim in September. And nothing was in alignment, was it? So we the weather was bad, Laura. You'd you'd hurt your shoulder. And we didn't want to go without you. And we'd had a chat with a pilot and we de- deemed it, it wasn't safe. So John and I did a swim from the R and L I imported said, into Clevedon instead. And we saved the big swim for for with you. And the stars aligned for our for that swim. And you're right, Laura, forty eight hours. We organised that swim in forty eight hours. <laughs>
1: So when we first mentioned about the uh, swim, I, I mentioned that, you know, I'd love to swim from the Severn Bridge down to Cleveland. And so I went to Seven Beach and did a wrecking because I thought it was something we could do without support. But when yeah. I got there, I looked at the vast scale of the bridge and all the shoot, it, it was just never on the cards that we could do that without support. I enlisted the help of um, a, a fisherman to start with, and he was going to take us out. But the conditions uh, were you know were too bad to go out, so that was cancelled. And then eventually, um, come across a guy called Jeff. He's he's part of Sara. And uh, he actually looks after that area of the channel. So he had the best rib, double-engine rib, and the best knowledge of anybody in that area. We turned that around in 48 hours. And then um, the weather came together for that day. Um, The conditions were good. I I don't know. I I was in awe. When we were going underneath the bridges, and and you're underneath that superstructure, and then you realise you're going to be getting in that with that big volume of water pushing you along, yeah it's just an incredible feeling isn't it and then you're all going to do it together
0: I was terrified I'm also one of my other little fears of of swimming which has now been conquered by that massive bridge is that man-made structures in the water and what got me was when I don't know if you'd heard him before we got in but Jeff said that the we are the only people he'd ever had in the water alive underneath that bridge so because yeah yeah people just jump off it to me, having been in that situation before where I've contemplated not wanting to to carry on doing living, um, that really hit home to me. Like When we went under that bridge and we were all, we just were in awe, weren't we? We just had a float and yeah. we all had a little hug and we had a moment. And it was just, it was such a privilege to be able to do it and, and to, to have Jeff's knowledge there with us.
1: I mean, he was saying he was telling us about all the dangerous parts of the channel um, that weren't swimmable. He was saying don't get too close to the bridge structure because like boats get pinned in against it. It's that deadly. One thing I liked about Jeff is like when we were swimming through uh, Battery Point near said, we hit a really really rough patch of water, and it was rough for about thirty forty minutes, yeah. wasn't it? We were like really um, real bad chop. And uh, we swam through that. And then afterwards, Jeff said, do you realise, he said, um, I've rescued boats out of those conditions. He said, I'm just uh, super impressed that you managed to swim through that. So um, yeah, it was just a nice feeling that he had that respect for us as well.
0: Mm. And he was brilliant because I personally don't like following boats. I like to be able to sight. And there's that brilliant picture of the three of us and me doing my little, my little shark fin. I really like to have to know where I'm going. I'd had a really poor vision when I was younger and I used to swim and I've had laser surgery. And for me, the important part is looking where I'm going. I'm swimming to that bit and then carrying on. And Jeff was great. Like He was having a chat, kept shouting over and saying, guys, you're swimming towards that headland or you're swimming towards going sight on that block of flats or head towards a harbour. And when we got to Battery Point, he shouted over to me, he said, aim for the end of Battery Point. Mm -hmm. and geez i felt like i I was swimming perpendicular to the side i don't know about you guys i felt like my bum was was in front of (laughs) my head
1: (laughs) yeah that 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 swim was all about timing wasn't it because we were gonna originally swim from the seven bridge this is when it comes down to planning so we were going to swim from the seven bridge but then we worked it back on the clock with the tides. We realised that we wouldn't have enough water to get out in uh, Cleveland because um, we needed an exit point and um, we couldn't just simply swim through the mud. Mm. So uh, we, we cut the swim short and instead of being, I think was 17 miles or I something, it was down to 13 from Prince of Wales Bridge to Cleveland. But yeah, w- w- one important point is you, you know you need to really plan your um, access and egress when, when, when you do these swims, especially on our tidal river.
0: And also being flexible, like we had our plan A and we had our plan B and Jeff took us out to the seven bridge and we all made decision. Didn't we, we sat and had a conversation. I Jeff thought we'd be okay getting back and we might just have to wade through the mud, but that doesn't look good to people who are standing on the side. We have to be ambassadors for the sport as well. And, and I think that, that we always need to give a good impression of swimmers and not be stupid so we timed it to absolute perfection there's a slip on clevedon beach and we hit it we hit that lip at the end of the slip didn't we
1: yeah because we were contemplating at one point were we getting out of lady bay we always had that plan to fall back on we realized when we got to lady bay that we we were actually going to make it lady bay for me is a bit of a home straight really coming underneath the pier when we when we got to that it was just like we've done it we knew we'd done it so it's like yeah yeah it's a pretty
0: magic moment it's all downhill, isn't it, from that point? And, and
1: <laughs> yeah, just it always so... is. Yeah, I say after after you've accomplished any any big feat, it's all downhill from there, isn't it? Because it's like, <laughs> what's next now?
0: It's made me really love swimming again. The sunrise and the reflections off the Prince of Wales Bridge when we did it, it's just it's something I'm never going to forget. It's up there with one of the most incredible experiences swimming-wise in my life. Just can't, I can't believe we did it.
1: And had so much fun whilst doing it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun with you uh, doing some of the river swims. I mean, I, can you remember when we swam the one morning in River Seven? And, and, and we looked behind and we saw that amazing sunrise. It was just like, a lot of people miss this time in the morning. And it's, it's the most, uh, I think it's the most beautiful time of the day, really. Start off in the dark and then, and then the, you see this incredible sunrise come up. And then you're you're there immersed in the river with nature all around you. And it's just, you've got, you know, brushing and invigorating.
0: It was magic, that was. And I wouldn't have seen it if you went with me. She breathed... (laughs) You breathe backwards. So <laughs> I just saw yeah. you, I just thought, where's John gone? Turn around and it's just this incredible sunrise. And I played danger phone and got my, my camera out. And I don't even have a case like yours, Laura. I was just literally in the middle yeah. of the you know, with my phone out. Was just like, oh don't drop it, don't drop it. <laughs> Had to get the picture.
1: I, th- I think it's I think it's fair to say all of us have done swims that we've never ever done before. We've pushed different distances and t- taken different routes, haven't we?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but there's just so many different routes now and so many options out there, and it's just it, it's exciting to 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 see what we can do next, you know, and, and what places we can visit. And I just I'm just really excited about the swims yeah. uh, for the full coming season because I know we're going to do something that you know some incredible swims again.
0: Yeah, and definitely that like, I've loved being part of a team with you guys because I think without all of our different personalities, we wouldn't have been able to be able to do these kind of swims. Like as a team, we've gelled really well because we all balance each other out nicely. John, you, you're a massive risk taker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said you you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do it without the chip brain, would you? So uh, <laughs> the chip mindset. <laughs>
0: We wouldn't have had the ideas. You push me, and I'm gonna say you push Laura as well because, like, sometimes we've been in the, the river, like, "Where the hell is he? Where's he gone?" And you having a lovely time, like a little seal pup out oh. in the basket? and oh. me and Laura are just like, "No, not doing that."
1: Fair to say, I think I've pushed Laura out of a comfort zone quite a few times.
0: Oh,
2: and... I would call it out of the sensible zone, yeah. not the comfort zone. They're
0: two very different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: the Sensible zone, yeah we've had some great swims and even even in the middle of the night um about a mile out to the bristol channel yeah so that that was incredible um spotting on keith and pier and then coming in so um yeah but i i wouldn't recommend those swims for anybody because we've built up so much knowledge and confidence and, um, and also
2: after a couple of well i've had six seasons winter swimming
1: how many have
2: you had i've only had about three you've had six as well i think, no,
1: I think Think about four seasons. Yeah, four yeah. seasons. I
2: think even though every single summer is different, there is an element of inside your body, you know. I think I'm quite in tune with my body anyway, but I would say for a first or even a second year winter summer, like you don't really know. It does take a couple of years for you to really learn about how your body coats with these things and when you're at your limit and you're like no actually i'm calling it a day even though i swam 500 or a k shorter than i did yesterday today's a different day my body's feeling different it's time to get out
1: yeah i've um I've, I've really 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 struggled with with uh winter swimming this season to be honest um it's the first season i've struggled and i think it's it's because where you need that consistency i start off in october come down with the temperatures and then i had a spell where um, the lake was closed for like um four weeks and I, I did the Hadrian's War walk, and I was my knee was injured, so I've had about like eight weeks, uh, you know, seven or eight weeks out of the actual um, the lakes, and mm-hmm. then to go back into the freezing cold, uh, knowing what to expect, so it just like it's put it put a block on my mind, and um, that's when I I come up with the idea that um, I was going to do the ice barrel life, uh, because it was going to push me into the ice whether I wanted to or not, because I committed to it. I said I was going to do at least 15 minutes a day at uh, below five degrees which five degrees is um, ice swimming. So, yeah, so that's what led me to do the Ice Bower Live. I've been enjoying that. So um, I've had lots and lots of different guests wearing first-time dippers. I, would, I, I call them ice virgins because they've never never spent any any time in the ice. I've been recruiting ice virgins. It's been nice to sort of give them that experience and the knowledge that I've got um, and tell them about what, what's happening with their body and, and how it's reacting and um, what they need to do safe, safe, safe in, uh, when they get out into to cold water. It, even though I've not been swimming lately, the, the barrel thing for me has been really good. Yeah. So.
0: I'm a bit gutted that I'm not a virgin and that I can't. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I could do it, John. I really don't. I, I it blows my mind that you can sit in in the ice water for thirty minutes. Like I couldn't do it. I can go and ha- quite happily swim fifteen, twenty minutes in less than five degrees, but there's no way I could sit in a barrel of ice. I was going to say, didn't you do a mile at sub-zero? Isn't that? I've done. A mile at 3.6, a mile at 4.9, and I've done a K at sub-zero. And wow. it's the sitting in it, I have to move. Moving, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's weird it's really weird. you say that, because um, I've, I've been sitting in this ice barrel now every day for 21 days, and I've got to the point now where, where I started off really uncomfortable. I'm in that comfortable place because my body's adapted so much from the consistent getting in that um, my head gets warm and my chest gets warm, you know, as soon as I hit the water, really. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like I was saying to you earlier, um, so I, I'm sitting this bowel at four degrees for up to 30 minutes, I've done so far. Um, but I got in at Clevedon and swam the other day at eight degrees. And because of my, I was moving around uh, with my hands and my body, um, I was only in for 18 minutes and, and I, I shook really bad. I got really cold. I think moving in ice cold water, you're going to get colder a lot more quickly. And I think it's far easier to sit there in a barrel where maybe you've got, like, a little um, film layer of, like, warm water build building up around your body where you're not moving.
0: Mm. I'm about to try it, so I uh, yeah. can't speak from experience yet. Oh, you'll have to let me know how you get on, because I just... I've sat in Kath's freezer bath, and honestly, I didn't last long. It was yeah. painful. I find going and swimming much easier. I swam at the weekend up the lake, so we... Our lake had dropped the first two weeks. We had 4.9 two weeks ago, 4.6 last week, and then 6.5 this week. And I tell you, it got it gets easier. And I, I got in at 6.5, got out, and I felt hot, felt really warm. I could I got another lap or so in me. I was feeling really strong, but just thought I didn't want to push it because there were still summers there. And I don't want to be in that kind of state around people. I, people don't normally see me cold or see me swim this this is the first year where I've, I've been swimming with mates and they're saying oh my gosh caroline you shiver well yes because i'm normal and that's a normal body reaction to being cold yeah. is shivering but i just didn't want to, to push myself too much so, and i always say in winter swimming get out wanting more
1: yeah i said before i did ice barrel challenge i, I believe that people were more bioprene mass like more fat body fat would would be better in the in the cold than slimmer people, relatively fit people, but it was uh, it's almost the complete opposite. I found like uh, some of the boxers that that got in with no body fat, they were coping with it so much better and able to last like two or three times longer than um, some of the some of the people with, with the body mass. And um, I, I'm sure it's down to mindset as well. Just, um, and and that. and it's funny how some people at the same temperature they would like um, hyperventilate straight away. And Others will just be be completely relaxed, like they they've done it all the time.
0: On this is great because you're getting people's backgrounds and you know where they they've come from and their background in sport. Like when I'm doing these introduction to winter courses that I've been doing at the lake, I've not actually I don't actually get the backgrounds of people's swimming experience fully. Some people will tell me and they'll give it up, and some people won't. So you can see people that have have swum through the summer for one, you can see how they're already acclimatized. Um, But you can also see those that have been doing stuff like cold showers and acclimatizing and and getting their bodies prepared for it. I think you're right, John. I think it is 100% about your your mindset because your body's a lot stronger than we realize they are. And also, actually, if you think about cavemen, and they must have been cold. I think by doing the winter swimming, it's it's making me get back in
1: tune with my body. Yeah. Yeah. Being in tune with your body. Yeah. So there's there's nothing better than being in tune with your body. I mean, um, I've been through a few seasons where um, I've swam, I I swam every week consistently twice a week and you build up level by level by level. So you start off like, you know, doing 400 meters. It's sort of like five degrees. And then by the end of the season, I've been doing 2k at four. It only takes a cold or a couple of weeks out, and, and you're straight back to, you know, having to build it back up again because it's ice swimming's like any sport, isn't it? So if, if you take time out, you have to build back up to that level. Same as when you uh, miss swimming sessions, uh, you, you you're taken back a step. You have to build it up again, and that's the same in the ice.
0: Consistency yeah. is key, and I think
1: consistency.
0: Yeah, and I was saying that to Ollie and Brad, who lifeguard the winter sessions with me at Cliff. This season I found quite easy because I've been getting in a lot more and I've had the regular swims. I've been swimming up to three times a week in the, in the river, which I never get the opportunity to do because I've been working from home, but I found getting in much easier now. I, it was just like getting into a normal swimming pool, but I'm not getting the high after I'm not getting the same sort of mental reset as I used to. I don't really know whether I've been using it too much or not but you're right guys it is very personal winter swimming and and we all have to to build our bodies up and and know what our bodies are like i'm mindful that we are running out of time today and what i am going to do with with you guys is we're going to have another pod we're going to do the river otters part two um and we'll get that booked in in the future but one thing i'm asking every guest that i've got is what three pieces of kits are most important to you for swimming outside and what and ones that you would recommend others invest in Who's gonna go first?
2: Um, I will. Earplugs. I hate it when cold water sits inside your ear. Uh, I always wear double hats, so like hats that you don't mind ripping, because sometimes when you're putting a set hat on and you rip your favorite hat, and you know that they don't stock it anymore, it can be I mean, a couple of minutes of tears. And just, I recently watched a podcast about how drinking hot water after there's actually no science to prove that. It has an effect. It's psychological, but I would always—I love drinking warm water after. What are your three tips,
1: John? Right, okay. Uh, like Laura, uh, definitely my earplugs because um, uh, yeah, I, I suffer with the cold and feel like out of sorts if, if I don't have those in. Yeah, I mean, like for, for for me being a male, it's pretty basic, isn't it? Just a uh, just a swimming costume and a and a hat. What else do I wear in the water? I mean, like so. That's the only the only wear three pieces of the kit technically: uh, trunks, trunks, goggles, in, and uh, and earplugs. But um, yeah, a decent pair of goggles uh, makes makes a huge difference. Um, obviously, ones that don't leak. But I, I like the ones that um, uh, where the lenses change. Um, so for open water swimming, uh, for example, um, you know you could be in, in dark light or, or in sunshine, and it's having a pair of goggles that you know you don't have to keep changing and adapt to those light conditions.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. I haven't so, got them that's a good tip i like them my my best piece of kit is that fold out like little fold out mat that you gave me actually, john from my toe float that's that's revolutionized my feet this winter particularly with getting getting changed next to the side of the river fantastic they're brilliant tips guys it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and we'll definitely get another one scheduled in so thank you for joining me and can't wait to swim with you guys again when we're back out <laughs> these these, uh, these tea Brilliant. situations and thank you for getting me through this this covid lockdown you too no and thank you thanks Caroline speak See you. soon bye, bye.